John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So as this is the first Sunday in Advent, and this year, as I said, for Advent, we're going to spend our time looking over and working through the prologue to the Gospel of John. This is a very well-known section of Scripture. Um, In fact, I almost called this the Tatum series because Tatum last year for CYF memorized the prologue to the Gospel of John. I should have called her up and and she could have recited it for us maybe, but I didn't put her on the spot to do that. But it's a well-known, many people memorize the prologue to the Gospel of John. I commend it to you if you want to... uh, Brush up on that. I'm sure you've had it memorized in the past. And you want to brush up on it and, and recite it for us. You sure could do that some Sunday. But this is a very well-known section of Scripture. And in this, John is giving us his introduction. You know what a prologue is? He's introducing the rest of the book and kind of gives a table of contents about what he's going to be speaking on through the rest of the book. Now, there's just so much packed into these verses. We can't cover it all in four weeks, but since it's the Advent season, we're going to be looking at this incredible reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, God being made flesh, incarnation, the word became flesh, Emmanuel meaning God with us, and the word is made flesh. Sometimes the question is asked, which is more important, Christmas or Easter? Somebody asked you, which is more important? Is Christmas more important or is Easter more important? If you had to answer that, think about, well, what, I, I relate that question to kind of like this. Which is more important in eating a, a, a chocolate, a little mini Reese's peanut butter cup? Is it more important to unwrap it or put it in your mouth? Which is more important? 
You kind of got to have them both. I do. If I eat that tin foil, my cat, my feelings go crazy. So I can't, I've, you got to have them both. Which is more important, Christmas or Easter? Well, the reality is we, we, we need them both. Easter, Christmas always lies in the shadow of the cross. Jesus coming to earth always lies. He's headed towards this mission of, of giving his life for the sins of the world. He, he lives the righteous life we all should have lived, dies the death we deserve, suffering our wrath upon himself, dies our death upon the cross so that everyone repenting and believing in him is forgiven of their sins, reconciled to him, resurrected three days later, ascending to the Father's right hand all of christmas lies in the shadow of the cross but at the same time if christ had not put on flesh and become a substitute for us if he had not become one of us we wouldn't have a mediator we don't have a representative who is like us in their humanity to be able to represent us to god if if christ had not come in the flesh as a baby and then meriting the perfect righteous life that we all should have lived the cross is, is nothing. Jesus, by that idea, could have just came down, died on a cross, and left. But he didn't. He's born as a baby. He puts on flesh. He's born as a child and lives this righteous life, earning, earning the righteous um, proclamation, the righteous reward from God. The manger always lies in the shadow of the cross, but the cross loses all of its significance without the reality of Christmas, the incarnation. So, my goal in this Advent season is for us to truly, by the grace of God, grasp the gravity of the reality of the incarnation. God has become man in the life of Jesus Christ. I want us to truly be wowed by all of the implications of what that means. And we're going to get there through this prologue of the Gospel of John. So you still have your, your Bible out. You can look at these first few verses with me. The opening lines of John 1, they should be familiar. In the beginning was the Word. What's that sound like to you? Well, if you've um, ever tried or, or tried to get a, a, through the Bible in the year reading plan, if you've ever even started one and only completed 20 seconds of the plan, you've read this passage before. Because Genesis 1 is, is the foreshadowing of John. John 1 is, is a callback to Genesis 1. Remember how, remember how the whole thing starts? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You remember that? Genesis 1.1. If you don't trust me, look it up. Okay, it's way at the front. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Well, John, to open up his gospel, uses that same turn of a phrase. In the beginning was the word. It's a callback to John one or to Genesis one one. John has this emphasis throughout his gospel on the divinity of Jesus. The divinity of Jesus. All the authors of the gospels they they wrote with their own personalities were in there, and they're writing to different audiences. They Sometimes people overemphasize that, but you know, like Matthew wrote to the Jews and Mark to the Romans, it is a much more concise book. And, and John is writing to both Jews and Gentiles, and what he's trying to emphasize in his gospel is the, is the divinity of Jesus. He, more than anybody else, really gives these explanations 
of not only what the miracle was, but some of the, the teaching and, and the why. He's, he's emphasizing to us the divinity of Jesus. He doesn't want them to miss the reality that Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus is God himself in human flesh. Now, it's so easy. We hear that vocabulary. We hear that said that it's easy to just think, well, yeah, Jesus is God in the flesh. But really, what does that mean that Jesus, the God, is in human flesh in the man, Jesus Christ? And this is what John is pressing upon us, this reality that when we look at Jesus, we're not looking at a righteous, just a righteous man. We're not looking at just a, a great religious teacher. We're not looking at just a, a very smart person. We are looking at God in the flesh. And that's what John is pushing on. The way that he makes this point is by speaking of Jesus as being at the point before all creation, right? In the beginning was the Word. Now we know when he's talking about the Word, he's meaning Jesus. And if you skip down to verse 14, you can see this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then on down, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This Word that John is speaking of, this is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, we, we listen to that and what, what he's getting at is that Jesus being the Word of God, he's the clearest representation of who God is. It's not some um, oh, philosopher's logos of word and some high concept. He's just saying who you say you are is, is the clearest representation of who you are. The Jesus is the Word of God. He is the clear represent, uh, representation of God. In the beginning was this Word, is Jesus. And where is He? He is with God. Where was Jesus when everything began? Everything began. Where is Jesus? Well, He is with God way back when everything was just beginning, Jesus, that we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus was there before it all even began. That is incredible to think about before the beginning, Jesus was and he was with God. But John goes even further. He doesn't just say Jesus was with God. He says that Jesus was God. Before it all began, Jesus was, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we've got a bit of a mystery of the Trinity here. Jesus, uh, John is speaking that somehow Jesus was with God, and that's possible because they have different personhood. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is there more than one God? No, there is only one God. And whom does, these, does this God uh, exist? In three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One in essence, three in person. One in being, three in person. Jesus was with God, but not only is He with Him, He is God. He is sharing in the being of God. Arianism holds this view that Jesus is not God, but simply the first created divine being. That's Jehovah's Witnesses are modern day Arians. They, they think Jesus is just the first created being. He's not God. He's just a God, like a, like a divine angel. He's, he's special, but he's not God. 
But John is contradicting all of that, saying that Jesus was there with God and he was God. John's point is that, is that the divinity and the eternality of Jesus, he, he confirms that by this verse 3. Verse 3, all things were made through him and was not anything made, without him was not anything made that was made. If you draw a line down the middle, on this side is everything that was created and over here is the thing that created it. And if nothing over here is created apart from Jesus, the only place Jesus can end up is on this side of the dividing line. Creator or creation. If everything is created through Jesus, he cannot land on this side as a created being. Jesus is creator. He is there with God and he is God. Jesus, the necessary consequence is that Jesus himself is uncreated. As God, he was there before the beginning even began. And that rejo- that, that reality is setting the stage for our deep rejoicing at Christmas. Do you think, Darren, why? (laughs) And I can feel it. Why are we talking about the eternality of Jesus as existing before time began? I mean, it seems like, why are we trying to plumb so deep? And let's let's just, let's let's bring, why, why would we go that deep with this? It's so important for us to understand that for Christmas to shine as bright as it should, in our hearts, if we wrestle through and meditate deeply on the, the pre-existence, the eternality of Jesus, then that reality, this God who is transcendent, sovereign over it all, puts on flesh. It's why in the why would this God who created everything, set everything in motion, is sovereign over it all, through whom everything was made that was made, that God? What's on flesh? What a mystery. What a, what a wonder that that is, that the Word, God becomes a man, the Word becomes flesh. And that's what we're trying to highlight by going over this passage in these next few weeks. The, the immensity of these two realities, the eternality of God and the personality of God. The prologue of John highlights these two realities, the eternality of God And also the personality of God. God existing before everything, starting it all, Jesus there with him. And yet, he puts on flesh. He has personhood. He has personality. He's he's involved. We're working on this, this one who existed before the beginning comes to dwell with us. And those are the bookends of this passage. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. The eternality of God and the personality. You could say the Godness of God and the human, the Godness of Jesus and the, the humanness of Jesus coming together as we celebrate Christmas. So imagine with me a hammock. You guys know what a hammock is? 
This is audience participation part. Thank you for the chug. Yes, you know what a hammock is. And not the kind my brother's got one that you put out on the ground with the iron stakes. That's not a real hammock. A hammock is between two trees, right? You go find two trees close enough and you tie a hammock between them and then you hang in the hammock. So imagine with me a a hammock. It's supported by clinging to two trees. And those two trees in this hammock we're envisioning is the eternality of God and the personality of God. The Godness of Jesus and the personhood of Jesus. These are the two trees that our hammock is hanging between. When you have both of these trees growing large, the reality of how big God is and Jesus being there with him and the reality of what it means that he put on flesh, came to be among us, to live for us, to die for us. When you grow both of those trees nice and large and cinch your hammock rope to those trees, you have a place to rest. You have a secure place to lay down and to be secure in between. This is the hammock that we're trying to build up. When, but if either one of these trees were to wither, if you lose the, the divinity of Jesus, if you throw away the godness of Jesus and you're just hanging on to the personhood of him, what happens to your hammock? Well, it falls and it's, and it's whapping against this tree and it hurts. Or if you have just this giant tree of the eternality of God and you lose any personhood to Jesus, you lose the personality then, the, then you, the hammock swings the other way. You may, and this, this happens all the time. You may have only a huge transcendent God. This, this leaves you with a very powerful but personally disinterested being. We can call him God. Like a lot of humanism and materialism, though they would not claim they believe in a God, their God of materialism is huge. It's elements clashing together. It's stardust. It's, it's as big as the galaxy. That's how big their transcendent reality is. But it's totally impersonal. It does not care what happens here. This is all going to burn up in a million billion years. We're just going to be separated stardust floating around everywhere. And none of it's going to matter. It's meaningless. That's, that's having a big, huge, transcendent God who really isn't personal at all and doesn't care. That's building up this giant tree of the eternality, of the immensity, the transcendence of God. But then on the other hand, you have those who just build up the personality of God. And God is just your, is your buddy who really likes you, who really wants things to go well for you. Um, he cares deeply, but he just really can't do much about it. He, he wants things to go a certain way. And he's, he's in your corner and he's, he's your coach and he wants things to go well. But really when it comes down to it, He's just kind of marching along with you. That's kind of uh, open theism is a, is a popular theology that's out there, process theology. And that's where it kind of leaves you with a God who's really interested, but he has no largeness to actually do anything. And what we want to do at Advent and at Christmas time is raise up both of these giant trees, the eternality of God and the personhood of God in Jesus Christ so that there is something to hang your hammock in between. And this is where the incarnation really impacts us. We see both of these realities coming into bullseye focus. Jesus, before it all, the immensity, his power to his sovereignty, his immensity, he started this whole thing. And yet, so personal and so intimate that he literally, truly, and all actuality enters into space and time 
to get involved on our behalf. He's so involved that he is going to trade his righteousness, giving it to those who believe in him, and take your wickedness upon himself. That's the personality. This immense creator God who sits in heaven, can do whatever he pleases, what does he please to do? To incarnate, to put on flesh, to take, to live the righteous life and then to give it out as he takes the wickedness of his people upon himself. He's going to give away his reward and suffer the other's wrath. He's going to suffer our wrath to give us his reward. The manger screams to us, What a wonder it is that this eternal God would put on flesh. Not forgetting these two realities. What do you see when you look at the nativity scene? What do you see when you think about the birth of Jesus? And and how can that help in the difficulties of life? So, just trying to do some application. Go with me. Um, You're... You're in the bathroom staring in the mirror because that's where all fits are thrown, right? Uh, you, just had a, you just had a fight at home with, with either your kids or your spouse or your family at some point. You've just been in a fight. You've gone to the bathroom. Kids were wild, misbehaving. You yelled. Um, they yelled back at you. You yelled at somebody else. And you just, you're, you're, you're gone off. You're just, I'm done. I'm going to go stand in the bathroom for some peace and quiet. It's the only door I can lock in my house. I'm going to go just go be alone for a bit. How can something like the incarnation matter there? The incarnation matters there because we we first of all realize God is over it all. And as as the transcendent God, he has promised his children that he is always at work on their behalf. So you stand there in that bathroom and you life and, and, and maybe it's not a fight. That's maybe it's a little too trite. It's a diagnosis. I mean, you know, something horrible goes wrong in life. And, and you're in the bathroom, and why? You remember the eternality of God. Those who are His, He has promised that He is always at work on their behalf. Romans 8, 28. No matter how dark or difficult it is, God does not abandon and will not abandon those who are His. You build this tree up. God, you are over it all. And even when I'm messing things up, even when I'm charging ahead into rebellion, even when I'm messing things up, but even when things are coming against me, it doesn't reduce this reality. God, you are sovereign over it all. You build that tree up. But if that's the only tree you build up, it, 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 can dismal, it can demolish you. If you have only that reality, it leaves us swinging then in our hammock and bashing ourselves against, well, God's in charge, so I guess whatever will be, will be, and that's just the way it is. So you, you build up that tree, but you don't forget this tree. That God, yes, is eternal and sovereign over it all, but God is intimately concerned and full of care for you. The eternal God put on flesh and dwelled among us to rescue us. You can't get more personally involved in caring than that. Jesus Christ puts on flesh to redeem you out of your sinfulness so that you can be adopted into his family and have him working on your behalf. He is personally and intimately involved. You have to raise both of these trees up. The largeness of God and the personality of God that he would come down and rescue. We have to tighten both of these ropes. God has not forgotten you. Don't make God, make God huge. 
But don't make that forget this tree that God in his hugeness has not forgotten you. God has not waned in his care for you. This is what we want to be secure to in the ups and downs and all of the waitings of life. Advent is waiting is what it actually means. Waiting for the coming of the Lord. We are, we are longing for the coming of the Lord. And as we walk through the seasons of waiting, which is what life really is in many ways, as we go through these seasons of waiting, don't forget the glories of the birth of Christ. God in his immensity has dwelt among us. God becomes a man. The word becomes flesh. And as we come to communion this morning, this is a meal of remembrance of the reality of our Savior, his broken body and his shed blood for us. God became a man and laid down his life for the redemption of his people. Let's pray. Father, doing the work that only you can do, illumine to us these grand realities that we'd be broken before you. Well, who is man that you would be mindful of him? Who am I? Out of the galaxies that you've created, existing in eternity past, who are we that you would give us a moment's thought? And yet what we celebrate is that you care so much. You love, for God so loved the world that you gave your son. Illumine that reality to us, God. Bring repentance in our hearts and faith in, in this son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do this work among us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.